I'm excited to be here today. I hope we have an encouraging word. I uh, believe the Lord wants to speak to me today, so maybe he'll speak to some of you too. Am I in a hole or is that just my ear sounds like an echo? Okay. Okay, now now I've been healed. I can hear. Okay, today is January 1st. It's a new year. Christmas is over. Can anyone say, ah? Okay. I want to talk about that new year, but first, just want to let you know that in the coming weeks, when you get the ghost of Christmas past, the the, uh, credit card bills, bring the Phil Cosby. He'll pay them for you this year. So... uh, Phil, that was really generous of you. I don't know where you're at, but okay, just kidding. <laughs> so uh, let's pray before we start. Lord, we uh, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together, the opportunity to to hear your word, Lord. Just uh, just pray that over the next forty minutes or so that I will decrease and that you will increase, and that. Uh, Love of Jesus will flow amongst us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. So, as I was preparing for today, just in the last couple of days, Leanne sent me an article by Jennifer LeClaire that actually fit perfectly with what I felt the Lord wanted wanted for us to hear today. So, I'm going to read that article real quick. This is not me. This is. This is Jennifer, so, but it really says a lot. And it says, in his classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, British writer Charles Dickens opened his book with words I can relate to. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I don't know about you, but I think that kind of describes my 2016. There were tremendous breakthroughs. There was also tremendous warfare. There were many new kingdom relationships formed, but some were also lost to spiritual combat. There were many new doors of opportunity, but there was also tremendous pressure. I've learned we do more spiritual growing during the hard times than we do during the easy times, and God is faithful. Every year at this time, I look back on the last 12 months. I take account of the good times and the bad times, and I thank God. And then I declare that the coming year is going to be my year. As part, of this, as part of this process, though, I'm also careful to leave the past in the past. I know if I want to freely walk through the divine doors God is setting before me, I need to leave the pain of the past season behind me. See, I take God at his word. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. See, I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth. Shall you not be aware of it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the deserts, from Isaiah forty-three eighteen. So God wants to do something new in your life this year, and I believe that. I believe that for me. I believe it for all you. But there could be something getting in the way besides the flesh and the devil, and it's called the past. Hear me. You need to press past the pain of your past. If you aren't willing to press past the pain of your past, you'll never have a total victory in your life. 
Consider Paul, the apostle's words in Philippians 3, 13, 14. Brothers, I do not count myself to obtain, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You have three choices. Press past the pain now. Press past the pain later and be miserable until then. Or keep the pain forever. No one can do this for you. You, can, you have to do your own pressing. So what does it mean to press? It means to exert steady force or pressure against something. We have to press against the pressure that's coming against us. There's pressure against our momentum. There's pressure to go backwards. There's pressure to give up altogether. The pull of the past is a demonic strategy that works like a magnet. And it keeps trying to draw us back. We have to demagnetize our souls. I'll tell you right now, pressing past the pain will cause suffering. But you can either suffer the way you are, or you can suffer through the pain of change and into victory. When the pain of change comes, our flesh looks for an exit. Our souls would rather stay in the familiar pain than press through the unfamiliar pain. We don't want to suffer, but our suffering will only truly end when we get to the other side of pain. Pressing is not fun. It's hard work. But the reward is great. I heard the Lord say, it's time to leave your past in the dust, shake the dust off your feet, and walk in the future, and hope I have planned for you. Leaving your past in the dust often means renewing your mind. From Colossians 3.1, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. What's Christ's perspective? His perspective is that we are overcomers. We are accepted in the beloved. We are not alone because he will never leave us or forsake us. We have the oil of joy, the garment of praise. God is our vindicator from Psalm 42. He will repay those who hurt us. He will heal our grief. He will bring us new relationships. He will do it. Our job is to love him with all our hearts and minds and trust him. I like to meditate on two key scriptures. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. In Genesis fifty twenty. But as for you, you intended to harden me. But God intended it for good in order to bring it as it is this day to save many lives. Let this be your prayer. Jesus, I am willing to pass, press past my pain into victory. I am more than a conqueror in you. You understand me. You know my hurts and my wounds and my grief and my loneliness. But you are here to deliver me. I refuse to remain in the past any longer. I exchange mourning for joy praise for heaviness, and I thank you, Lord, I can press towards the mark of the prize. Pain, you can't stay. I command you to leave my soul in the name of Jesus. I am free from pain. I am renewed renewed in the spirit, in my mind. I am victorious. I am victorious. Anyone feel victorious today? Anyone feel victorious today? Okay. I want to read Romans 8, 31 through 39. That's where I want to start with this morning. Because we've just, in the last few weeks, completed Romans 8. And I want to just for a second go back to Romans eight thirty one through 39. 
What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And brothers and sisters, that's what I ask today. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I really believe that 2017 is going to be a year of freedom, a year we start to recognize that we're conquerors, that we start to live as conquerors. He goes on in verse 38, says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news. You know what? I just get, every time I read that, I get so excited. Because to realize that, first of all, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. And also to realize that in Christ, I am more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. But I think knowing that we're conquerors also makes us aware that we are at a war. We are at war. Montgomery County ranks fifth in Indiana with deaths from heroin overdoses. Our divorce rate is one of the highest in the nation. There's many in our families, many we work with, many we go to school with, who are heading to hell, and we might be the only Jesus they know. But I really believe a lot of the church in in America is like a country club that secludes itself, not realizing that we're in this tremendous battle for the very souls of our loved ones. And as a nation, I believe we've been moving away from God at a steady pace since World War II, but never at a more alarming rate than the last eight years. There's an organized attack on Christianity. Suddenly, evil is good and good is evil. There's attack on the sanctity of marriage. Political correctness is now the cry of the land. Soon to preach Romans chapter 1 will be considered a hate crime because we can no longer call sin, sin. Even a presidential candidate was promoting the murder of of unborn children up to the minute they were born. And not only promoting it, but proud of it. We got to realize we are at war. And many Christians are stuck in complacency. Scripture tells us that in the last days, even if possible, the very elect will be deceived. And I was thinking about that too, and I was thinking that, you know, when we're deceived, we don't realize we're deceived, you know. 
There's been several times in my life I've been deceived and I thought, by golly, I was right. And I'd stand on it. And I'd argue with you. And then all of a sudden my eyes could be open and boom, it's like, how did I see that? And you know, the thing is, we go all the way back to the garden and when, when Eve was attracted to eat the fruit of the tree, she wasn't attracted to the evilness. She's attracted to the good. And I believe it's good things that's going to take us away from the Word of God. And I do believe there's one thing that can keep us from being deceived, and that is realizing that this is the very Word of God, and that this is the written Word that God has communicated with us. And if He says it's so, it's so. If He says it's not so, it's not so. And if anything that may sound good that goes against that, that's not good. But, you know, I really believe, I mean, there's been times in my life I've been stuck. And, and you know, it's not fun being stuck. I remember, well, every year Leanne and I love to go to Annemarie Island in Florida, and we spent a couple of weeks there. And a couple of years ago, we were with a couple other couples, and we decided it would be a great idea to rent a pontoon book, pontoon boat, Sometimes my tongue gets faster than my mind. But. So we thought it would be a great a- idea to take a three-hour cruise. Reminds me of a song. <clears throat> so we rented a pontoon boat. And of the six of us, five of us had never driven a pontoon boat. But Captain Bruce stepped up to the, to the job and he said, I can do this. I've driven one. What we didn't know is only two times on a small lake. And we are now in the ocean. And another thing, too, when some good sound advice, if you go to Florida and you want to do exploring, rent a captain that knows what they're doing. You know? One thing about the waters in Florida is that it's completely opposite as Indiana. Because if you look at, at a lake and you see it light, that means shallow. Dark means deep, right? Well, in Florida, it's just the opposite. And if you're going where it's dark, that's not good. And there's an area in the bay. We did great in the Gulf till we hit the bay, and it, well, that's another story. I don't have time to go. But we were in areas where we didn't see other boats. We thought that was kind of odd. You know, and, and there's this one area on, on the other side of the island, it's called the Flats, and it's actually against federal law to be in the Flats because there's a lot of uh, species that, that, you know, that are, you could hurt if you run over them and things. And, and uh, so as we got grounded in the Flats, <laughs> and the boat quit, the motor was plugged up because we, we were grounded. And uh, so we were deciding what to do. And we saw some amazing sights, like the stingray went right under the boat. And then the hammerhead shark was chasing it. And so it kind of negated any of us jumping out and unplugging the motor. Although we were taking a boat, we're about ready to throw Captain Bruce over. And uh, But fortunately, we were able to lift the motor a little bit, and we were able to unplug it. We were able to barely stick it. Anyway, we got unstuck finally. But, you know, there's a lot of times in our life that 
we can we can get stuck in our Christianity. We can get stuck in our walk with Christ. And and I believe that the Lord wants us to free us from that. And and you know, as I look back on twenty sixteen, I look at Harvest Fellowship, there is a lot of good going on. You know, a lot. But I do think there's areas that the Lord wants to work on us for. Can anyone say amen to that? Okay, a little bit weak, but you know. And, one of the, and, and I've had opportunities to share on the first day of the year before, and I always like to ask this question. In the last six months, how many of you have, for the first time, surrendered your life to Christ? Just raise your hand. Okay. What about the last year? Two years. One. Three years. Okay. So essentially among us, in the last three years, we have one person who surrendered their life to Christ. And, uh, you know, I think the Lord wants us to work on that. Can anyone say amen to that? You know... I believe that we're born with a purpose. And back in my hippie days, I used to seek that purpose out. In many years, I wondered, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? You ever ponder those things? Maybe it's too much pizza. I don't know. But so many times I wonder, what was my purpose? And so many times I sought it out in so many of the wrong places. But I really believe that scriptures tells us that we are born to glorify God. And as we glorify God, I believe that we're commanded to make disciples of all the world. This includes Montgomery County as our biggest mission field. And I want to share with you this morning what I think are three ways I believe we can get unstuck, or I can believe I can get unstuck. If you relate any, then maybe it's for you too. I know it's for me. But the first one in our lives is to realize we are loved. That may sound simple, you know. Realize we're loved. But you know, we have a God that is so in love with us, that pursues us, that was willing to die for us. But our culture completely teaches us the wrong idea of what love is. Love isn't something we receive, but it's something we give. You know, if we watch sitcoms or we watch movies or we watch all these things and, and the tearjerkers and the, you know, and, and I've done several, several weddings and, and I always, I always think it's funny because you got a new couple and they're just goo goo eyeing each other and they're almost sitting on top of each other and they're, they're, you know, and it's like, you know, a few years from now, it's not always going to be that way, is it? But if we go into, life or a marriage and we're expecting to receive from another person the love that we need we're not going to get it 
Because that's not what love is about. Love isn't something we receive, but it's something we give. I remember a couple of years ago, I ran into a wife of, of a dear friend of mine. And she looked at me, and they'd been married for 25, 30 years. And, and she says, you know, did you hear that, I won't say his name, so mine, but says, we, we're divorced now. And I said, no. And she says, well, you see, I love him, but I'm just not in love with him anymore. And I almost cussed. Because what she was so blinded to, what she was saying was, okay, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, and maybe he's not, he is not, not supplying all my needs that I'm looking for, and so I'm going to be for Boogie, and after 25 years, get out of here. That's not what love is. Because love, if she could see what love was, was what she could give, not what she could receive. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Isn't that amazing? Even when we were in the midst of the muck of our lives, he made us alive with Christ. Many of us, we just didn't realize it yet. It has been by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable richnesses of his grace expressed in the kindness of to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. But we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's how much God loves us. We're his, in, in, in another scripture says we're his masterpiece. Think of that. We're his masterpiece. (laughs) You know? But seriously, that's how much God loves us. 1 John 4, 8 through 13 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. You see, that's how God loved us. He gave us his son. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and him in us. He has given us the spirit. And realize once again, you see, that's what our love is about. Because since we have received this amazing gift of grace from our Lord. To realize that, that in spite of what we deserve, he's given us life. And he's given us life abundantly. And not only has he given us life, he's given us eternal life. And it's by his grace and mercy. And because since he's poured that love out upon us, all he expects from us is do the same for one another. That's what love is about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against another forgive as the lord forgave you oops i'm in the wrong verse sorry that's coming up so keep that in your mind first corinthians 13 love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs. This is what love does. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Not just when things are going good, but always protects. It's agape of love. It's that, that love like God loves us. That that self-sacrificing, that unselfish love. See, that's what a marriage should be like. And, you know, there's, there's two other major words for love. Agape, which is God-given. We have eros, which is sexual. We have philadelphia, which is brotherly love. And I was thinking a lot of this. And I was thinking that, you know, this year, Leanne and I are going to celebrate 41 years of marriage. And that is truly the grace of God. But I'll be honest with you. It wasn't Eros that got us through those 41 years. It wasn't Philadelphia that got us through those 41 years. It was agape, the willingness to give each other the same grace and mercy that the Lord has given us. Because there was many times over those 41 years we both wanted to give up. Usually at separate times, fortunately. But it was through loving each other, even when the other couldn't really love back. And I am so glad we did that. But number one, realize we are loved. Number two, realize we are forgiven. You know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison waiting for the other person to die. 2 Corinthians 13 when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us some of our sins. No. He forgave us all our sins. 
all our sins. Every stupid thing we've ever done. Every stupid thing we'll ever do. He's forgiven. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When we realize the wages of sin is death, and instead he not only gave us life, but life abundantly. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited enough to share that with others. To realize that everything I ever did or ever will do has been forgiven by the Lord. I remember a few years back, well, several years back, there was a, there was a, a local murder here in Montgomery County. It was about 25, 30 years ago. And a woman beat her five-year-old son to death with a heel of her shoe. And it was horrible. And uh, most of the community was talking about it. And I remember we actually had a church picnic that day. I think we met at, at, Harvest, or at uh, Lake Waveland that day. And we were all sitting around talking about it. And condemning the woman and condemning the act. And you know, I remember we were on our way home that day and Leanne looked at me. And she says, you know, I feel like I've got to go see her. I need to go talk to her. And we went through the hoops and, and Leanne got into the local jail. And they had, had this woman in the drunk tank. And any of you ever been in the old jail drunk tank? I don't know. But it only has a, a little window like this you can see out of. It's a padded, it was a padded room. And they had her in there to protect her. And Leanne went up into, and looked into that little window. And looking back at her was a pair of tear-stained eyes. And Leanne looked at her and she said, Lucy, God sent me here to be your friend. And she broke. And she says, I've been praying for a friend. Because you see, this woman was an individual loved by God. She did a horrible, horrible thing. And she's going to spend the rest of her life in prison. But you know, in all eternity, she's going to be with God. Because she received the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus while she was in that jail. That's God, folks. And one of the things that really, really ate on Leanne's heart was there was a time in our marriage that she had had an abortion. And when it came time to give her life to Christ, that was holding her back, thinking there's no way God could ever forgive me for murdering an unborn child. But God spoke through that and reached into her life and showed her that he loved her. And so Leanne had compassion on her heart that she too had been a murderer. But you know, even further than that, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if we look at our brother with hate in our heart, we murder him. I don't know about you, but I think we're all murderers, aren't we? 
Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So honestly, how can we hold anything against anyone when we realize how much God has forgiven us? And there's a world that will only see Jesus when they see the way we love one another. Not just our families, not just our fellow Christians, but there's a dying world out there that will that we never see because so many times we're so wrapped up in our own little world that we don't see the suffering all around us. And we're content and we're complacent to be saved and happy for that. But we've got a world that's going to hell. I have a friend that, that I started mentoring this year. And he was a friend that I've known for a long, long time. We used to get in a lot of mischief together in the old days. And, and he ended up being an enforcer with the Sons of Silence 1% motorcycle gang. And he looks still like a biker. And he's full of tattoos everywhere. He's still got the, the long hair. And he's still, he looks like a biker. But what's really neat is God is using this man in ways that he can never use you and me with. And he just had an opportunity to share at a funeral and play a song and, and sing and share his faith. And, and there's, you wouldn't believe the people that are coming to him with questions because he's willing to do that. With many ways, we need to look for ways to bless others. Look for ways to share the love of Christ. And even sometimes use words. You know, there's been times I don't want to spoil Anne's. But I've seen her at the grocery store. I've seen her walk up and put her charge card in for someone else's groceries. And tell them the Lord told her to do that. There's been times we've been at restaurants and, and asked for the bill of someone. And just left a little note that says, says, God is wonderful. You know, what about, about when we eat? You know, I've always thought that if you bow your head in prayer, you better give a good tip. Because Christians are notorious amongst those in the industry of being cheap. Find ways to bless. Find ways to share the love of Christ. And then finally, number three, realize we are free. We are free. Now, any of you seen the movie Braveheart? Anybody not seen the movie Braveheart? Okay, I don't want to spoil this for you. You may never see it. But Braveheart is a lot about William Wallace, who helped free <coughs> Scotland from England. And, and England was very, uh, wasn't nice to Scotland. And so they're getting ready for this big battle. And, and uh, you got a bunch of just countrymen, you know, going against this army of England. And, and you know, in England, this army thinks, what are they even doing? They don't stand a chance and this and that. And so William Wallace comes riding up. And all these, the, this battle scene, I wanted to play it, but it's got a couple words that I thought wouldn't be real appropriate for a Sunday morning. But 
in this battle scene, William Wallace comes riding up. And here's all these guys, and they got their makeshift weapons, some of them, and this and that. And they're staring across the field at this huge army with horses and archers and, and, and all these, you know, finest weapons of the time. And, and they're starting to get a little worried. And they're starting to leave. And they're starting to turn around. And William Wallace comes riding up, and he says, and this is one of my favorite speeches I've seen in a movie, but he says, Sons of Scotland... I am William Wallace. And someone yells out, William Wallace is seven foot tall. And he says, yes, I've heard. Kills men by the hundreds. And if we were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes. I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What would you do without freedom? Will you fight? And someone yells out, fight against that? No, we will run and we will live. And Wallace replies, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And they all yelled, Scotland forever. And they won the battle and, and, and the rest is history. But that's a question I, I present to us. You know, we can be content. And, and, and we will, we will if, if we have put our faith and trust in the Lord, we'll live forever in eternity. But don't you want to be completely free? Think about that. Would you trade that chance to really be free, to be on that front line, to, to, to look the devil in the face and go... Pfft. Because God is offering that to us. That freedom in Christ. The life through the Spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free. Free from the law of sin and death. You see, we're free from the law of sin and death. We're completely free. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In other words, we've been set free from a life of sin, but so many times, I think, we get drawn back into that. You know, I, I teach at Trinity on Friday mornings, Trinity Mission, and it amazes me how many times I have seen men set free from the evils of, of addiction and then go back into it. And it's so sad because they don't have to do that because we're free. And we have to realize we're free, that the devil has no say in our life. In Galatians 4, 3 through 7 says, See, so also, when we were underage, we were in slavery 
under the elementary spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God gave his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. And to realize that, that, that no matter where we've been, no matter where our life has led us, we're an heir to the kingdom of God. We're his sons and daughters. That we, that's where we belong. That's who we need to identify with. Not with the world or the lure of the world or the things in the world. But to realize we are sons and daughters of the God Most High. And he loves us. And he died for us. At Celebrate Recovery, we just, at the end of each year, we do a, we do a thing where we bring a cross up. And I do a, a, a message on, on nailing our, our sins to the cross. And, and each year we, we go through this as a symbol. And, and when I finish with what I'm teaching at the time, and I always say, you know, what is it in your life that is keeping you from total surrender to our Lord. And it's a time of reflection. To some, it may be a sin. To others, maybe it's a lifestyle. To others, it could be pride. For me, unfortunately, it seems like every year it's, un- it's being selfish. But so many times we have something that's keeping us back from total freedom. And so I want you to reflect this morning on what's keeping you back. Visualize your own cross. Visualize realizing that when we lay it at the foot of the cross, it's gone. I'm going to conclude with a song. I'm not going to sing. I'm going to say Thank God for his grace. I wanted to play it, but it's eight minutes long. So I'm just going to read the lyrics. It'll only take a minute. But It's from Jason Upton, one of my favorite worship leaders. And it's a song called Dying Star. And as he wrote it, he, he, was, he was asking the Lord, you know, Lord, I want to be in your army. I want to be in the army of the Lord. I want to be on that front line. I want to I want to face the devil himself and come against him. And I'm adding a few things to that now, but and so this is what he felt the Lord said to him back. He says, You've got your best man on the front side. You always show your best side. And evils Always on the other side. You say this is your strategy. But son I hope you take it from me. You look just like your enemy. You're full of pride. We better trash our idols. If we want to be in the army of the Lord. And the greatest idol. Is you and me. We better get on the threshing floor. When will we learn. That God's strategy is giving glory 
to the Lord. We better trash our idols if we want to be in the army of the Lord. Star, how beautiful you shine. You shine more beautiful than mine. You shine from sea to shining sea. Worldwide is your strategy. But shining star, I hope you see, if the whole wide world is staring straight at you, they can't see me. They can't see me. Let's pray.